You know, there are times in our nation that we have to take a stand. There are certain times in our life that both as a nation and as a church that we can no longer stand idly by and just allow some of the ungodly truths to tear apart the fabric of our nation. I wrestled with whether or not I was going to address this from the pulpit this morning, but this really isn't a gray issue. This is a black and white issue that not only should we stand for as a church, but I hope this isn't just a a pastor saying this, but I hope this is a congregation that we're saying that we're going to link arms and we're not going to stand for it anymore. And that is that I'm sick and tired of people saying that Popeye's chicken is anywhere near as good (laughs) as Chick-fil-A. They say if you won't stand for something that you'll fall for everything. And I'm tired of all of the tweets and the Instagram posts and the Facebook. Have you heard about this? So apparently Popeye's chicken, I'm terrible at lying and I was trying not to look in certain directions and (laughs) be serious here. Um, So Popeye's chicken has made this chicken sandwich, right? But we know the real chicken sandwich was invented by God's favorite person, Truett Cathy, and that's where the true chicken sandwich comes from. Well, apparently it was good, some people say. I I wouldn't taste this. These lips won't taste that. Um, (laughs) But they say that it's good, and they ran out because there were so many of them. And there's been this war going back and forth about which is better, the Popeye's chicken sandwich or the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. And there were a couple of one. And it's simply Jesus saying, I see y'all going to Popeye's. (laughs) (laughs) He's always watching, right? (laughs) I hope in the midst of all the political turmoil in Alabama and Auburn and Decatur and Austin, can't we all just agree on the fact that Chick-fil-A is God's favorite restaurant? I mean, thank you. Unity in the church, that's all that it took, right? All right, I hope that you have your Bibles, and if you do, turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to make a quick transition to God's Word, and I'm not going to try to smooth it out. There's no way to smooth it out, so we're just going to dive right into it. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, and we continue our journey through the book of John. And in John chapter 8, we're going to begin um, in verse 21 in just a moment. But we're going to see that Jesus has been leading up the whole way to this idea of eternal separation. So in verse 12, that's kind of where we camped out last Sunday. Jesus made this radical claim that he referred to himself as the what? The light of the, finish it off, the world. And in essence, he's saying that if I am the light of the world, that each and every person, that you choose to walk either in darkness or in light. And today we're going to pick up the story that he continues to share with the Pharisees in verse 21. So let's start at John chapter 8, verse 21, where it says, So Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. For where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus is in essence saying, look guys, You've been following me all around Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. And everything that I've been saying, everything that I've been doing, you have rejected me. But listen, there is a time coming in which you are going to seek me, but it's going to be too late. You're going to look for me, but there is a time of separation 
that is coming. Now we know that when we read scripture, that Jesus, and even in the Old Testament, that the authors were writing to a particular group of people. That's why it's always important to know the context of scripture. To know in the Old Testament, who, what group of people were he writing to? To know in the New Testament, was this written to a church? Was this written to an individual? Was this written to believers? So we know that when Jesus is giving this message that he was speaking specifically there to his enemies. He's speaking to those who had publicly rejected the fact that he is the promised one, that he is the Messiah. But the incredible thing about God's word is that not only does it speak to its particular context, but the word of God still speaks to us even today. And this message that Jesus gives in verse 21, it is as true today as it was in Jesus' day when he uttered these words. Hear me on this. There will be a time of ultimate separation for each of us. Jesus could not have been more straightforward here. But unfortunately, the way the Jews respond, they did not respond positively. Look at verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now this was clearly a jab at Jesus. Because every, Jew, every good Jewish person at this time believed that if you committed suicide, that this earned you the absolute worst place in hell. So in essence, what they were saying was, oh, well, Jesus, if we can't follow you, that must be because you're about to commit suicide. If you commit suicide, you're going to hell, and surely we're not going to follow you there. Listen, as religious as these Jewish leaders were, think about it. They knew the law forwards and backwards. They had large chunks of the Old Testament absolutely memorized. They would abstain from different parts of the world just so that they could say that they were holier than other people. But as, as all of these things that they did for the Lord, they were just as lost. They were just as separated from God as those who completely ignored him. I gotta be honest with you here. If you've been here long, you've heard me say this time and time again. One of my greatest concerns about the American church, especially the American church here in the Bible Belt, where it's more rare to find someone who doesn't go to church than, 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 um, than does go to church, it's that there are still people who think, just like the Pharisees, that if I do enough good works, if I don't do certain things, if I obey certain rules, if I dress the certain part, if I give the certain amount of money, if I don't say certain words, if I abstain from these movies, that surely I can earn my way into God's graces. The same thing that the Pharisees believed. But listen to the words of King David. And David was trying to say the same thing to people who thought that they could be good enough to earn God's love. David says this in Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. And listen to this last phrase. There is none who does good, not even one. The prophet Isaiah he also expressed how futile it is to think that you could save yourselves by anything that you do. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64. We have all become like one who is unclean, 
and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. I love the way the paraphrase, the message, quotes this. It says that we're all sin-infected, sin-contaminated. Our best efforts are grease-stained rags. Church, our best laid plans, our best intentions still separate us from God. It is only by accepting the free gift of salvation that our sins will be covered and that we will be redeemed. Quick aside here. Jesus will eventually lay down his own life, but it's not through suicide. It was all a part of of honoring and obeying the Lord. But he willingly lays down his life. No one would take it from him. He says this in John 10. For this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He says it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So then in verse 23... Jesus continues in this dialogue, this discussion with the Pharisees. And I hope that you have your Bibles open here because we're really going to camp out on this one verse. And if you don't, again, let me encourage you to write this verse down because I think that understanding the meaning behind this one verse, it will help shape our worldview. It will help shape what we believe today and not only what we believe, but how we are to interact with the rest of the non-believing world. Verse 23, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So you see here, instead of Jesus engaging the Pharisees in this ridiculous claim that he's about to commit suicide, he goes straight to the heart of the matter. And what's the heart of the matter? The heart of the matter is their origin, where they are from. And he says, where you are from, your origin is completely different from mine. In essence, Jesus says, guys, you are from a completely different realm. You are from below, and I am, of the, I am from above. They were a part of this world. Now, well, let's take a time out here for a second. What does he mean that they're from below? I don't think that right here Jesus is saying that they're from hell. That's not where I think he's going with this. But instead, what I think he's saying is that because you're part of this world, that as a result of being part of the world, that you are in constant rebellion against God. You are in constant rebellion against your creator. The word that Jesus uses here for world here is the word cosmos. You've heard that word before. He's not talking about a physical realm. Instead, when he uses the word cosmos, it says you're part of the world. What that word intends to mean is it's the invisible spiritual system. So it's this invisible world that you're a part of that involves evil and it is always opposed to the kingdom of God. You're part of this invisible spiritual realm of evil that is always ramming itself up against what God's word and what God's will is for their life. Friends, the world today meaning those 
who do not have a relationship with Jesus, those who have not asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins, those who have not um, asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, today they still do not recognize Jesus' identity. Not only does the world not understand Jesus' purpose or identity, they don't understand those of us who are following him. They don't understand our purpose. They don't understand our identity. They don't understand why we do certain things. And because of this, because they don't understand Jesus' purpose, they don't understand Jesus' identity, and because they don't understand our purpose and our identity, Paul will go on to say that they are blind to spiritual truth. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, in their case, the God of this world, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. To watch, to watch this. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But not only are they blind to the spiritual truths, they also have filled themselves with hatred towards Jesus. But it goes even further. Their hatred isn't just towards Jesus, it's also to those who claim to be his followers. John chapter 15, Jesus says this, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And ultimately, why do they hate Jesus? Why do they hate Christians? Again, I'm talking about those who are opposed to Jesus, those who are not walking according to the light of the world living inside of them. Here it is. The reason they hate Jesus, the reason they hate followers of Jesus is because Jesus confronts their sin. Jesus said this in John chapter seven. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Listen, here it is. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. Now let's take a deep breath here. Do you understand the importance of getting the implications of what this means? Do you understand how futile it is for you and for me to get so worked up over someone who is not filled with the Holy Spirit, to get so worked up and to get in an argument with someone who does not have the light of the world living inside of them because we have a differing worldview, because we have different priorities, because we have different lifestyles that we live. It's because we have a different origin. It's because we follow a different Savior. Our ultimate focus our ultimate desire as followers of Jesus should not be to get someone to agree with us on our political views. Our ultimate desire, our ultimate focus shouldn't be to get them to like the same things that we like, to have personal preferences that match. But instead, our ultimate desire, our ultimate focus should be that we would share the love of Jesus with them because it's only when they have the light of the world living inside of them that they will have a different origin. And it's only when they have a different origin that it will change their perspective, that will change their temporary views on things. But it's so easy for us as Christians to get so short-sighted, isn't it? It's so easy to get worked up over things that, quite frankly, do not matter. And we get so worked up over things that, that, to be honest with you, 5, 10, 15 years from now, they're not going to make a difference, but we don't get worked up over whether or not someone is going to heaven or hell based on their salvation and if they place their hope and trust in Jesus. Our priorities are wrong in so many ways. 
And in sharp contrast to Jesus' opponents, he says, while you're from below, you're part of this world. He says, I am from above. And the crazy thing, this amazing love that we sang about just a few minutes ago, is that Jesus invites us to become part of his kingdom. For us to play a role that we can join him in what he is about. See, once we were without God. You and I were born into sin. We didn't choose God, but God chose us. And we welcomed and we walked into that relationship with him. But now, now that we are disciples of Jesus, now that we are following Jesus, he has invited us. Let's go look at Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domain of the darkness and transferred us where? To the kingdom of his beloved son. Let me try to explain this here. It's critical that we get this right. Because Jesus says that we, while we live in this world, we are not to be what? Of the world. How can you live in the world and not be of the world? As long as we are here, living on this earth, living in the flesh, we will participate in the laws, in the systems, in the government of this world. Doesn't mean that we say, hey, I don't have to obey their laws. I don't have to obey because I serve Jesus. No, we still participate in the laws. We still participate in the the systems here of this earth. We will have good days. We will have bad days. We will experience cancer. We will experience death. We will go through all of those things as long as we are still living here on this world, living in the flesh. But at the same time, we are not to live in such a way that we are of the world. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, the longer that we serve Jesus, the more heaven becomes real to us, doesn't it? The longer that we love Jesus, the more that we experience Jesus, the easier it is to trust him. Am I right? See, I love my friendships with our senior adults, especially our senior adults that have been following Jesus since the time they were children or teenagers. Those that have been following Jesus 50, 60, 70 years, you know what? They don't fret over the things that I think are the end of the world. They don't get wring their hands and I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how's God going to come through now. Why? Because they've experienced Jesus. They've walked with Jesus longer. They have seen Jesus prove his faith his faithfulness to them over and over and over again. It reminds me of the hymn that I used to hear my granddad sing. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven. My heart overflows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. See, the longer that you and I serve him, the more that we should look forward to heaven. We don't dread death 
Why? Because we know that God has told us that our citizenship is not here on earth, that we are not citizens of earth, but our citizenship is in heaven where we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The longer we serve him, the easier it is to trust him during the difficult times. And in verse 24, Jesus goes on, he gets even more specific about what causes them to be eternally separated from him. Look at verse 24. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now let me peel back the curtain here for a second. What Jesus' listeners heard as Jesus was saying that was this. Unless you believe that I am, you will surely die in your sins. Remember this reference we've talked about, this I am phrase that Jesus uses for himself? It goes all the way back to to Moses. And remember Moses, he met God in the burning bush, and and God tells him, hey, go back to Pharaoh and get, get your people out of Egypt. And he says, who should I tell them sent me? And he says, tell them that who sent you? I am. Tell them that the eternal God is the one who is sending you. And friends, he is saying the same thing today, that unless you accept Jesus, unless you trust Jesus as I am, as the eternal God, then you will die in your sins. It sounds so harsh, but it's not my words. It's the words of Jesus himself. See, church, it's not enough just to think of Jesus as some great teacher. It's not enough to think that he was sinless. It's not enough to think that Jesus was some compassionate savior. It's not enough to to pray to him. It's not enough to idolize him. But as followers of Jesus, we are to believe the full biblical revelation of who Jesus Christ is. We sang about it just a few moments ago, that we believe that Jesus is the second person in the Trinity, that we believe that Jesus is God's son, that we believe that Jesus was conceived of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died a horrific death, and that horrific death that served as a substitutionary atonement for you and for me, that once he died, that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended back to his father, and today we believe that he is interceding for you and me before his father and that he is returning once again. This is what we are to believe about Jesus. And the Pharisees, they understood this radical claim that Jesus was making. But they just made the decision to reject him. Look at verses 25 through 27. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Now, let's put ourselves in the context here. This question that the Jewish people ask, who are you, Jesus? It is absolutely ridiculous that they would ask that. After all the miracles that they had seen, after all the teaching that they had heard from Jesus, after all the claims that they had heard Jesus make about himself. Friends, they had more than enough revelation of Jesus Christ to understand that he was the long-awaited promised Messiah that they had studied their entire lives looking for. But instead, they make the choice to reject him. 
and understand it is their rejection of him that earns them eternal separation. Let's look at the final three verses of our text this morning, verses 28 through 30. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. In verse 28, once again, Jesus uses that phrase, you will know that I am. Now, do you remember if you've been with us throughout this journey that in chapter 3 of John, that Jesus referred back to a time in which Moses, he held up a stick and there was a snake on that stick. And do you remember when the Old Testament, what would happen to the, the Israelites when they looked upon that, that stick with the snake on? Do you remember what happened? They were healed. And now you can, you, now you can look back and see what Jesus said this in John three fourteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, soon, Jesus himself, just six months after this, he will be lifted up on a cross. And he's telling them, look, there is coming a time when the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself, will be lifted up, and at that point, you will know that I am. Jesus' death and his resurrection, they vindicated every single claim made about Jesus. They vindicated every claim made about Jesus by his, by his disciples, by the prophets long ago, and by Jesus himself. His work on the cross is the greatest proof that he truly is, in the words of John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Friends, there is coming a time of separation from this world for every single one of us. This world was not meant to be our home. We were not created for this world. The question is, when that time of eternal separation comes, when each and every one of us will breathe our last breath, where will you spend eternity. It's not a game. Not something we get worked up for and come to Sunday mornings. It, it's, it's, it's the gospel truth. Because for those of us who think that by doing enough things, by doing good deeds or thoughtful actions, by doing what is right in our own eyes, that in the end, we're going to discover that nothing on our own, none of our efforts could ever absolve us from our guilt before a holy God. That's the bad news. But the good news, the good news is that for those of us who place our hope, our trust, our dependence, not on ourselves, not on our own efforts, but we place our hope, our trust, our dependence in the grace, in the mercy, in the salvation, in the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ, we will understand that we will receive the peace of God that passes all understanding. We will be able to survive the temporary storms of this world. Why? Because we will have complete assurance 
that Jesus paid it all. Not just a portion of my sin. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin. My sin. What did it do? It left a crimson stain. But praise God, Jesus paid it all. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us for any amount of effort that we think that we have earned or that we deserve your love or your favor, but we even now humbly bow ourselves at your feet and we simply say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your undeserving merit that you have given to us because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. We are so unworthy, but praise God, you make us worthy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here today that have never, has never trusted in the gift of your son for salvation, that today would be the day of their salvation, that today they would repent of their sin and they would reach out and they would trust in you for their salvation. Lord, I pray that every single one of us, that we would evaluate our lives, that we would think about our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, those that, that we see on a regular basis, and that we wouldn't just be so worked up over the temporary differences that we have with them, but give us a burden for their eternal salvation. Give us a burden to see people as you see them, and then give us the boldness Give us the courage, give us the conviction, not just to feel sorry for them, not just to wish that they had this uh, love of Jesus living inside of them, the light of the world living inside of them, but give us the boldness to go and to share in love the gift of mercy that has been made available to them through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise and the assurance for those that have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that our sins have been paid in full. And that is what we rejoice in even now. For it's in your Son's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.